You are tuned to CICK News on 93.9 FM in Smithers. CICK News is your news source for regional and provincial news Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 a.m., 2 p.m., and 4 p.m. It's hosted by Dan Messick and myself, Pamela Hassan. Find and follow CICK News online at smithersradio.com and frequencynews.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. CICK News is funded by the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Government of Canada. Today on CICK News, the 64th annual All-Native Basketball Tournament, the biggest sporting event of the year in Northwest BC, kicked off in an amazing show of dance and wonder as the Gitsand Nation opened the tournament with a thunderous entrance. We'll take you behind the scenes of one of the longest-running basketball tournaments on the West Coast and hear from Gitsand players as to why the All-Native is more than just about basketball. But first... Pam gets an update from Mayor Gladys Attrill about the recent police action that led to a local Smithers school going into lockdown. Stay with us. Hello, this is Pam Hassan for CICK News, and here's an update on the incident that happened near St. Joseph's School on February 7th in Smithers. RCMP responded to a residence on Broadway Ave after receiving a report that a man appeared to be in distress and there was threat of a possible firearm. The police were successful in arresting the individual, who safely exited the home and was apprehended without incident. The incident was contained to a single residence and did not pose a threat to the general public, according to the RCMP. Police took multiple safety measures to ensure public safety, including advising neighbours and a nearby school to shelter in place. Today I'm speaking with Mayor Gladys Attrell of Smithers about the incident and the town's response. How is the town prepared to respond to incidents such as a potential threat to a neighborhood and a school? Well, I think as a town, we rely on the emergency provider. So, you know, if it's an incident that requires police, then the police will respond. If it's fire or requires ambulance, I mean, the different emergency responders are going to do what they do best. And honestly, sometimes the best thing that the town or officials, elected officials especially, what we can do is just stand by, stay out of the way and be ready to help with communication. You know, in something like what happened on Wednesday, from call to completion was pretty quick. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes with that sort of an incident, it's over before uh, many people know it's even happened. So there's really not much to do except something like this, maybe field questions afterwards. But I think what we do is we rely on the professionals in emergency services and allow them to do their job. And then afterwards, you know, we hear if there's ways that things could be improved or, you know, stuff like this. You mentioned earlier that kind of some chatter in town, it was online and otherwise, that that people said that they weren't informed. Now, obviously, when something like this happens, people just, their emotions get heightened and they get scared and they react very quickly. But were the parents of the children in school informed by the school town or RCMP when the school was shut down? I don't know if there was an outreach from parents, or excuse me, two parents from the school. It didn't occur to me to ask that question, Pamela, but the schools would be, the school or the school district would be the people to answer that. Again, you know, the whole thing was pretty quick. And even from the perspective of the RCMP, you know, the decision to inform the schools was in that abundance of caution. There, there weren't, except for the police and conservation officers, it turned out there weren't weapons involved. So the question becomes, you know, do you alert people to something 
uh, that they think is happening or that is happening. Like it's a bit of a conundrum. And because the forces that were out were armed and it was, you know, the police and the conservation officers, you know, it looked very dramatic to the witnesses, but in fact, it went very well that police were able to locate the individual, bring that person into custody and the whole situation was over. So what people thought was happening and what actually was happening were a bit different. So, you know, to answer your question, how do you respond to what people think is happening based on what they see and what they tell each other compared to what might actually be happening? Like that's a really difficult piece, especially, you know, people do tell each other, they do get nervous. And then what they're saying may not actually be accurate. Like it's a pretty strange thing to try to counter. Absolutely. And I feel like what a lot of the discussion was about was kind of the optics of it. You know, parents feeling like they wish they had known or, you know, were they told in a timely time? Again, just how heightened and how quickly things like that are going to spiral, especially in a town like this, where this is pretty rare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is rare. And I think, you know, in (laughs) follow-up conversations with our detachment commander, there are incidents that happen. Often they happen at night and often they're over before anyone knows about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the police have to be able to do their job as other emergency services do. And, you know, in this day of quick communication, what we can't really stop is people talking to each other. And I'm not suggesting we want to, but, you know, from children in school who have phones and who can text their parents or text friends. And then that sort of goes very quickly yeah. in what people, you know, again, it's what people think is happening versus what might be happening and the amount of time it takes. You know, of course, we've all seen the terrible stories in the news where something terrible does happen. So I'm not diminishing that. But in this case, because the question is, you know, should more have been done to alert people? I don't really know how to answer that. But because it was a very short incidence that things were under control, I don't know. Like, I, I really just don't know how to answer that. Sure. Yeah. I just want to talk about just the emergency alert program that we do use, which is called Voyant Alert. So there was there an alert that went out for this incident? No. Does something like this constitute the use of that program, seeing as it's the town's discretion to, to send out an alert or not? So in this particular instance, I did have this conversation with our detachment commander. So there is an alert system as well that the RCMP can use if they think it's warranted. You know, so if there was a sense from the officer in charge on scene that there was a risk to people more broadly, then there can be an alert issued through the RCMP, similar to what we see with the Amber Alerts. Mm -hmm. So there there is an alert system. In this case, again, it was not, it was decided it wasn't needed. You know, it never got to that part from, you know, call to resolution was fast enough. So, you know, we have to rely in the, on the intelligence on the ground is what hap is what is happening look like it's going to go on for a period of time. Does it appear that people in some sort of broader neighborhood or area are at risk? Is there a message that needs to be conveyed to a neighborhood or a community? Those are decisions, if it's a police incident, that will be made in consult between the, the person who is in charge on scene with the person who is back you know, in the detachment with someone up the line uh, in the region who will make a decision on how to issue that alert. 
So I, I don't think it's a town decision if it's a police incident. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in the best for communication with the town or with me is that I'm alerted that there's something going on at an appropriate time, which means fairly quickly. And in this case, I think it was reasonably quickly that I got the call mm -hmm. um, just to let me know that it had happened and by then was resolved. Mm -hmm. So there are other reasons why an alert might be issued through the Voyant alert system. So we're a participant in that, although it is issued by the Regional District of Balkanachaco. They're the keepers of the Voyant Alert. But in Smithers, we have an extraordinary number of people signed up to Voyant Alert. So if there were a major fire, if there were an earthquake, similar events to that, reasons to alert people, that would come through the Voyant Alert. And again, we would rely on emergency personnel to assist with that, yeah. to determine who's at risk and where. Yeah. Uh, Mayor Etchell, was there anything that, that the town is taking away from this that you wanted to share? Well, I don't know that there's, you know, a particular follow up just from the incident itself. I mean, what's clear is that, you know, what we knew already, I suppose, is that communication happens a couple ways through official channels and through informal channels. And so we need to be ready to be ahead of the informal channels to the best of our ability, recognizing you know, it's, it's, it feels like it's almost impossible. If people see something, they share photos, they share questions, yeah. other people are going to be informed kind of in real time, and we may not be able to respond that quickly. So there probably is some follow-up that we need to do on how to um, be aware quickly, and then to consider how we may want to communicate out to the public, to our residents in a timely way. And I, I do say that still, though, that an incident as quick as the one we saw last week may have gone from emergency call to resolution before anything else rolls. And I think that's fine. You know, we're looking to the RCMP to behave quickly and professionally. And I think they did. You know, the incident was resolved well. And sometimes, in, especially in a town as small as Smithers, where RCMP can be on scene, you know, in a minute. Yep. And something could be resolved in a few minutes that that's too fast for us to roll out a communication protocol. Yeah. Um, was there anything that I didn't ask that you think is important to include in this conversation? Well, I think it's just the piece about successful resolution that, you know, there was an emergency call that came to the RCMP. It was a little bit confused. So the RCMP weren't 100% sure what they were going to. They were able to locate the site and they were able to resolve that very quickly. And in many ways, that's exactly what we're hoping for, that if people call the police, they're available to come, they come very quickly, and we have a professional response that results in a good, good closure. So when I was speaking to a couple of people last week, including the RCMP, I mean, what we had was in very many ways, like, you know, it was a real incident, but it provided a training opportunity as well, even though it was live, between the RCMP and the Conservation Officer Service. They were, there was members of the CO service, additional members in town, as I understand, who helped respond because of uh, the uncertainty of what was going on when the call was received. Yeah. And the same with the schools, you know, that they were um, in that hold, hold secure uh, notification, keeping the kids inside, keeping the staff inside. And so they did that in the face of what was a live incident mm -hmm although it turned out to be much more benign than what people thought, but they had this exercise that was live with real concern and it went off really well. Yeah. So what we're seeing is that the things that people have in place at the schools, the RCMP with the COs, the protocols are working. 
And so I think there's some good news to take away from that, that it went off really well. No one was hurt. Sadly, there was a reason to have the call in the first place, but overall that's it was a great response and if you know the the takeaway is that maybe we need to think a little bit about communication fair enough we can do that but at the same time we saw a professional successful response and i think that's good thank you to mayor atrell for her quick response to my interview about the incident in smithers on february 7th if you'd like to read the press release you can find it on the rcmp smithers detachment website and even though it wasn't used, if you would like to learn more about our emergency alert system that we use in the Bulkley Nachaco, it is called Voyant Alert, and you can find more information if you go to the rdbn.bc.ca website and click on Protective Services. Thanks, Pam. Now let's take a dive into the 64th All-Native Basketball Tournament happening right now in Prince Rupert.
Okay, my name is Peter Hogan, and I'm uh, president of the all Inter Basketball Tournament Committee. Great, Peter. Uh, once again, here we are. Uh, it's the 64th this year, so oh, almost 65 years of this business. Um, what's going on this year? Usually it's about the same. We see a lot of teams from all over the place. Kind of what stands out to you this time around? Well, we're happy to welcome back Metlakettla, Alaska in the intermediates for sure. Um, it's been a while. And um, the other team from Alaska is the Heidelberg uh, Masters, but we were hoping we'd have their seniors, but they just couldn't quite pull it off. And we've got teams from as far down as Vancouver, of course, but we're represented this year uh, well by Ahauset and by Heshquit. Where are those places? They're both, they're both those communities on the outside of Vancouver Island, on the west coast. Because I know every year you have kind of the, the usual suspects that show up, um, a lot of teams from the north, um, but there's always these kind of teams that show up um, from the U.S. or from down south. So, you know, what does that make up this year? What are we seeing from the north as a pair, uh, uh, compared to everywhere else? Well, the, the core of this tournament, of course, is, is all of the Nishka and Simpsian right around the Rupert area, Heisla. But we do have Similkameen coming in from the interior. We have the Hazeltons coming down. And, of course, we have Vancouver Island and two club teams, a women's team from Vancouver and a men's team from Burnaby. Um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about the, the makeup of the tournament this year. You know, who's kind of the standout teams? You know, we usually see the, the Haida usually do really good. Smilkameen did well last year. So who's kind of standing out this year so far? Well, it's obvious to us just in the early going, we don't know how this is going to end up, but Metlakatla Intermediates look strong. Um, and in the seniors, I don't know, it's, it's basically a toss-up, but Burnaby, of course, has to be the front runner, but... They were the front runner last year and Skidigate knocked them off. So it's not like it's a done deal by any of these teams. Uh, one thing we talked about yesterday is, you know, every year it seems that this gets bigger and bigger. And uh, by, uh, as such, we saw the Gitsan that welcomed uh, everyone at the opening ceremonies. And they had quite the elaborate uh, uh, entrance and intro. Tell me a little about what you've seen over the years, because this is one of the only venues where we see a lot of these elaborate dances and drums and songs. Um, there's not a whole lot of other venues during the year to see that. And so clearly they put a lot of time of practicing um, to put on a great show. So what, what have you seen over the years? How does this stand out? Well, when we uh, introduced the crafts fair across the way in the auditorium with native crafts and that, the next thing that came out was, of course, this is culture, right? So then we we put it out there for different groups they could put their letters in who wants to open it. So the tournament committee looks at these letters and then we try to get new groups, new groups that haven't done it here before or it's been a long time since they've done it before. So like at the ceremony last night with the Gitsan, it was also brought up that next year it will be Bella Bella. And Bella Bella hasn't been here for a while with their group, you see. So it's all new stuff and every group brings something bring something. No group seems to be really standing out over everybody else because they all bring something, whether it's different songs, different drums, whatever. But uh, we expect a good show from Bella Bella, and we had a good show last night from the Gitsan. And I remember in the past, the one thing I remember is when Haida opened, they had their big Sasquatch, right? And then I remember when the Nishkas did it, they had the big box drums, and that was pretty powerful. Very neat. One other thing I wanted to chat about was the divisions. We have four divisions, uh, and it's been like that for some time, but 
rumor has it there's going to be a fifth division coming next year. What can you tell me about that? Well, it's not a rumor. We've already decided as a committee that we're going to introduce the women's masters. And so it'll be the same rules as the men, over 35. It'll be the same rules, either village or club. No different than what we have in all the other divisions. And so now the women, we're welcoming the women, the, the older women that have, you know, want to still play. So we've got another letter. We've got, we had one team, once we announced it, we had one team that had a team within an hour. So there's interest for sure. Well, that was the other question was it sounds like there is there has been building interest and so now it's kind of it's going to happen it sounded like it it could have happened this year but teams kind of weren't ready but it sounds like people are out there gearing up specifically for this tournament well it couldn't have happened this year because we we didn't didn't announce it we only figured this out about a month ago at our committee level to bring on the women's masters and so then it was put out there and right away there's interest and just today I got another message how do I go about entering a women's masters team so there's another team waiting to enter too. Uh, this tournament is already huge you know there's dozens and dozens of teams um, how many more teams can this can this tournament handle? Well it just seems like the more teams we have we just add another day to the tournament but that logistics of all of that is not quite so simple because teams have to get here from Bella Bella Teams have to get here from Haida Gwaii, and a lot of that is just ferry scheduling. But the ferry schedule has to be directed, and they do a very good job. BC Ferries does a very good job of changing their schedule to fit the tournament. Full steam ahead. Full steam ahead. That's all we do. We don't look back. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Hi, I'm Eva Spencer, Vice President of the All Native Tournament. Um, Eva, tell me, why do you love the tournament so much and, and keep helping to organize this? It's because um, because I love uh, meeting all f different First Nations people and because uh, I'm just a people person, so I just love everything about what we have to do and how we have to to um, arrange everything and uh, make sure everything's run properly. What's your favorite part of, of the tournament? Just knowing when um, we're preparing all year long and then just knowing when the week's coming and then the week just comes and goes just like that. Yeah, yeah. And then on to the next year. And then, then yes, then we start right away for next year yeah. because now we're going to have another division to, to play with and it's going to be fun. Yeah. Lots of women. Lots of women. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm Tatum Jack. And uh, how's the tournament been going so far? Uh, it's been pretty intense so far. The games have been so good so far. They've been all all been close. Yeah. 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 It seems that the competition uh, is getting pretty tight every year. Uh, yeah. How does last year compare to this year for you guys? Uh, this year we have a pretty good team. We have our full roster this year. Uh, I think we are going to do pretty good this year. Um, all of our teams are here to play for our brother Marshall. He passed in the fall last year. Yeah. So we're I see the t-shirts. Yeah, we're representing him this year. Um, uh, so the last game you had wasn't, wasn't too great, but you have an interesting game coming up. You could be playing. Uh, I believe it could be Massive, or it could be, or, or it could be Bella Bella. What do you got to do to kind of tighten up the game and, and pull out a win in the next game? 
Uh, we learned lots from that game. Um, we we were pretty flat-footed in that start of that game, so we just got to come out strong next game, and I think we, we got that one. Yeah. What, what do you love about coming to the tournament? I love the community and everybody that it brings together. It brings so many people together, and every year I look forward to it. It's one of the biggest tournaments that I, that I come to. I've been coming since I was a little girl, and this is my dream to play here. Yeah. It's, a, it's a obviously a pretty important tournament, but basketball in, in Indigenous culture is, is pretty, it's, it's a key, key uh, cultural piece. Why do you love playing basketball, and, and what does basketball mean to, to you and some of your other Gitsan players? Um, it has shown me, it's given me a pathway to look forward to. It's, it's something that I look forward to being great at. Like, this tournament's giving me inspiration to work hard on the off-season and do the things that I need to do. So I think it just inspires people to do what they want to do and gives them a better path than what they could be doing. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Not a problem. Thank you. Three cheers for us, hey! Hey! Two for us! Hey! One for hey! My name's Roland Wright. Uh, Roland, maybe tell me a little about this uh, pretty decisive win. It was a bit of a nail-biter, but you guys pulled it out. Yeah. Well, I don't know. As a team effort, we battled hard. Like We knew it was going to be a battle coming in. This team beat us two years ago, and we just, we, we wanted this win. It was, yeah, team effort, hard defensive battle. Rough, rough one, yeah. Uh, you know, you guys come here every year, year after year. When you see other teams and you kind of build some rivalries, is this one of those teams? Uh, no, we we know a lot of these guys. They come up, we come up to local tournaments. It's just, it's just a friendly, friendly, friendly war, I guess. That uh, we, we, we love playing against Mass. It, like, we know they're gonna have a good game every time. And we know that they're not gonna just roll over. The, uh, the Gitsan teams, uh, the seniors, the intermediate, uh, the women's, all revered, um, doing fairly well this year so far. What do you guys got to do to pull out a few more wins? Keep playing for Marshall. One other thing is, you know, this is not just about basketball. It's about culture yeah. uh, as well. What does it mean to you and some of the other Gitsan players to come here every year and play ball? Um, it means everything. This is maybe one time a year that we get to come see a lot of our family, basketball family, that we don't don't often see throughout the year. There's one place we have to come meet and see, even see other villages. Like we've got lots of friends all over. So everyone comes together. It's a basketball culture, basketball family, and yeah, this is the one time one time we see each other. Yeah. I guess Alicia, the last thing for you, uh, in that in that spirit, you know, for the Gitsan, what is it about basketball that really drives? the Gitsan and other Indigenous nations, because it is quite a bit of a, a, it's more than just a game to you guys. Yeah, it's, it's uh, family, not just basketball family, it's our kids. We're trying to show them a path they can take without yeah, staying busy, staying in school. Basketball can be a way out of the reserve. And yeah, we stick to it. We, we, we start from U13, we go all the way to the Masters in Hazleton. We have a program for women's and men's. It's, it's something to keep us all occupied. Right on. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.
listening to CICK News. If you have any hot tips or news stories you think we should cover, contact us at CICKNews at smithersradio.com or follow us on Facebook at CICK News. CICK News is made possible by the Government of Canada and the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the only organization mandated to financially supporting campus and community radio stations across Canada. You can also catch our fresh shows each week at theskina.com or subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks to our producer, Pam Hassan, and all of our roving reporters, I'm Dan Messick. Thanks for listening. <laughs>